Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. So great to have you all here this morning. In fact, I just want an extra special warm welcome to uh, Jesse and Beck Cocker. And we have little Lexi. She's having a little snooze. She's sleeping through church. She was born last Friday, so that's the only excuse you get to sleep through church if you're born last Friday. Uh, Oh, sorry, last Thursday. And so it's so great to have little Lexi. And I've got some more exciting baby news. Ben and Emily Whitmore. uh, So Ben often leads us in worship. Uh, Him and his wife just had a baby on Thursday, little Jacob Stephen uh, Whitmore. So there's little babies coming everywhere, so uh, be careful what you drink after the service. But um, hey... I'm really, really excited. We've been, we've been starting this series in the book of Ruth, and we're jumping into to chapter two this morning, and the title of my message is simply this, Bumps and Bruises. See, the big idea that I want us all to capture this morning is this. We all, during moments of our life, we all go through little moments and seasons of our life where we all wonder at some point, God, where are you? you haven't made it to one of those moments yet, give it time. I hope that's not depressing for you this morning. But we're going to look at, we're going to continue looking at this story. This story that is in, incredible and remarkable. But I just want to give you a little bit of a recap. Those who weren't here last week, here's a little snippet of what we looked at as we looked at Ruth chapter 1. There's a guy by the name of Elimelech. Uh, Elimelech uh, takes his whole family, because of a famine, takes his wife and his two sons to the city or to the nation of what? Mo- There's one person that remembers from last week. From Mo- they take him to this place called Moab. Now, Moab, Moab was the place where they weren't supposed to go. In fact, it was a sin to go to Moab. It was a sin to know any Moabites. It was a sin to marry a Moabite, touch a Moabite. Pretty much, if you, if you can say the word Moabite, I'm pretty sure that probably was a sin as well. And so here they were. They found themselves going to a place they shouldn't have been, and they found themselves doing some things that they shouldn't have done. And Moab was a bad place full of bad people. And I want to give you just a, snipsh- a, 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 snipshot, a snapshot of the history, a snapshot, a snapshot into the history of why Moab was a bad place. In fact, where did Moab come from and why did it become such a bad place? Well, Genesis chapter 18, we find this story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was a really, really wicked, wicked, wicked place. And, and God, because of its wickedness, God couldn't handle it anymore. He said, you know what, I'm going I'm to obliterate that whole city, that, that whole place. And so he, he looked for someone who loved him, and he found one family. Out of this whole entire city, there was one family that loved him, and it was, called, and he, it was Lot and his wife and his two daughters. And so he said to Lot and his wife and his two daughters, if you remember the story, what I want you to do is I want you to escape Sodom and Gomorrah, but don't look back. Now, I don't know about you, but you know when someone says don't do something, what are we really tempted to do, yeah? Right, you know, like in that moment, don't do it, and what do we do? So Lot's wife turns around and she turns into a pillar of salt. And so now all you've got is Lot and his two daughters. There is no male sons in the family. And out of sheer desperation, remember we talked about last week, we said desperate people make dumb decisions. And so we, you know, we, we said, and so we find this in the middle of a desperate moment, 
we find some people making some really awkward and very dumb decisions. So what happens one night? They, they find themselves in a cave. Now remember, it's just Lot the dad and, and, and Lot's two daughters. So Lot the dad, two daughters, they're in a cave. They've just escaped Sodom and Gomorrah. The mum's just a pillar of salt stuck on the side somewhere. And, and in a moment of desperation, because they all realize, the daughters realize there's no more sons. And that lineage, that family, that line is about to end. And so in a moment of desperation, they think it would be a good idea to get their dad drunk and have sex with him. Oh, yeah, I don't know. And I imagine, and, and so, and then from there, the one of the daughters, the eldest daughter, has a son. Now, can you imagine Christmas Day in that family? Imagine Grandparents Day. Now, I don't know if it's Grandparents Day, Father's Day. I don't know, like that's just super, super awkward. This is the Bible, people. There's some super awkward things that happen. And so, the oldest daughter has a son, and she names the son. Moab. And the son goes on to start his own nation. And so that's where we find, and that's the root, that's the that's where the Moabite nation came from. And in Ruth chapter one, we find the whole family. Elimelech, Naomi, and the two sons arrive in Naomi. So they don't arrive in Naomi, they arrive in Moab. And they arrive in Moab, and it says that they settled there. But then all of a sudden, uh, Elimelech and the two sons die, leaving just uh, Naomi and her two now Moabite daughters-in-law. And there's no protection, there's no provision, there's no hope. All that's left is Naomi and her two Moabite daughters-in-law. And so in that moment of desperation, she does make a wise choice. And Naomi says, let's go back home. Let's go back to Bethlehem. Let's go back to where God is. And so she begins to go on a journey to take her two daughters-in-law back to Bethlehem. And one of them dumps and runs, and she's just left with Ruth. And so that's where we find the end of chapter 1. Ruth and Naomi enter into Bethlehem, minus anyone's husbands and minus the sons. And while they get back home, they're still desperate. They arrive back into Bethlehem. And they're desperate. There's no food. There's no money. There's, and they've got no idea what to do in this moment. Now, imagine how humbling and how hard it must have been for Naomi to come back home. Now, remember, she left with everything that she owned, with all of their possessions, all of the family, husbands, sons. And she leaves Bethlehem with everything. And now she arrives back into Bethlehem with nothing. She arrives back into Bethlehem with nothing except her daughter who is sinful because she's from the nation of Moab. She arrives back into Bethlehem just with all of her bumps and bruises, asking the question, God, where are you? Because you've taken everything from me. But could you imagine what it must have also been to be like Ruth? Now, where, just a quick question, survey, where is Ruth from? Moab, okay, we're good, we're getting there. You know, so, so Ruth is from Moab. You know, she's not supposed to leave Moab. She's certainly not supposed to go to where any Jewish people were. And yet, where does she find herself? In Bethlehem. Imagine the moment. Now, I wonder what the moment must have been like. When, when Naomi kind of head bowed with the weight of the world on her shoulders, she left with everything, arrives back with nothing except, well, probably for nothing, 
except for a young woman named Ruth. I don't, I don't know how this pans out, church, but I can imagine as, as she walks in with Naomi, people recognize Naomi, but they've never seen Ruth. And the word and the whispers begin to spread around town that, that, that Ruth is from Moab. You know, and, and, and you can imagine, you know, like there'd, be this, there'd be whispering and pointing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder if, you know, I wonder if mums and dads grabbed their kids and pulled them away as, as, as Ruth walked past. Because you've got to remember that to go to Moab was a sin in, under religious laws, under religious Jewish laws. To know anyone was a sin under Jewish religious laws. And so parents are pulling their kids away. And everyone's backing away and stepping away as sad Naomi and awkward Ruth walk past but this is where we pick up the story in verse chapter one of sorry verse chapter one that's good english verse one of chapter two and it says this now naomi had a relative on her husband's side a man of standing from the clan of where of elimelech and his name was what boaz and ruth the moabite said to naomi let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain anyone behind anyone in whose eyes I can find favor. Now, did you notice what verse 2 started out with? And Ruth, the what? The Moabite. Why keep bringing up her past? How many times? I mean, we've just gone through one chapter and, and two verses, and already Ruth from Moab, her history, her background keeps getting dragged up. Could you imagine for a moment if after the service, while grabbing a cup of coffee and grabbing some, some biscuits and hanging out and getting to know one another, you would introduce each other by the very lowest moments of your life? I mean, imagine just, hi, Dave, I'm, my name's Dave, I'm the drunkard. Like, imagine, like, that would be awkward. Now, I'm not saying I'm drunk, but anyway, just whatever. I mean, imagine that moment after church. Now, that would be super awkward, wasn't it? And yet, here we find Ruth keeps getting referred to by the worst moment, the worst season, the worst parts of her life. Constantly having her nose rubbed in it. See, at what point, I wonder, did, did Ruth just go, enough is enough, I'm sick and tired of people calling me the Moabite, uh, referring to my lineage and my history. I wonder at what point she wanted to just go with tail between her leg, go back to people who would accept her. Go back to people who would embrace her. But I want you to know this, church, one thing, whenever you read the Bible, Whenever we read people like Moab, in fact, read anyone, what we find is this, that God doesn't refer to your past. He always refers to your future. You know, whenever God ever talks about someone, it's not like they did. You know, remember Ruth the Moabite? Yeah, no, the Moabite named Ruth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Jesus always refers to the futures that he's got in store for you. See, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like because of your past, because of the mistakes that you've made, because of the things that you've done, because of the words that have been spoken over you, you feel a little bit this morning like Ruth the Moabite. And yet Naomi and Ruth are desperate. And in a moment of desperation, they look at each other. 
and they say, you know, I'm not sure how we're going to get through this. And it appears like God has left us and it appears like God has deserted us. But the truth is this. See, for Ruth and Naomi, and the truth is for us today, that God is never very far away. That he's always at work making a way because he is the way maker. But in desperation, Ruth now takes the initiative and, and sets out to change her situation. See, now in a Christian world, there's two elements of it. There's our faith and our actions. You know, our faith is the part where we just, we trust God and we, we choose faith in God regardless of our circumstances. But the second part of our faith, the second part of our faith is our actions, where we work hard, where we're diligent, where we do everything that we can do to allow God to do all that He can do. And in this moment, Ruth doesn't look at what's not in her hand, but she looks at what's in her hand. See, I reckon there's a season ahead for some of us that we need to stop looking at what we don't have. And look what the blessings of what God has put in your hand. You see, it's really easy, isn't it, to look at what we don't have. It's really easy to look at our neighbor's haves. You know, we look at their haves and we go, I want some of their haves. And yet we miss what God has got in your hand. See, Ruth, with all of her bumps and bruises through life, decides to begin to pick up the scraps of grain. Grain that was left behind because of the harvesters. You see, in that day and age, what, what uh, uh, people who would own the, 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 the land would, would require and what they would do is they would uh, ask their workers to leave little bits as they went so that the poor people of the area could come in afterwards and collect up what had been left and what had been put aside so that they could make a living, so that they could face a whole new day. See, it was an opportunity that was given to those who didn't have much. But then we find verse 3, and it says this, And so she went, and she entered a field and began to glean behind its harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to a man named Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. See, I love, I love, uh, there's three words that I love in this, in that verse. And it's, it's these words, as it turns, and that's four words. It's as, as, <laughs> maths was never my strongest suit in, in, in school. As it turns out. See, here she was, scraping the barrel. Oh, that's all I've got. Like, I just need a little bit so we can, we can live to tomorrow. And yet, as it turns out, see, her life is, is looking incredibly rough and tough. You know, she's facing bumps and bruises on all sides. I mean, Naomi's husband had died, and her two sons had died, and one of those sons was Ruth's, was Ruth's husband. And so now you've got a wit double widow. One who's a what? Moabite and one who's a Jew. And they're there together and life looks incredibly grim. And in that moment, it says, as it turns out, things begin 
Ruthie, she could have, I mean, that day, Ruth could have walked into any one of a number of different fields, yeah? I mean, there would have been, I don't know, a whole lot of fields around, and she just happened, by, I mean, like, they just, like, whoops, I, I happened to just kind of walk in. I didn't know who it was. There's no big sign. This is Limelech's, you know, like, this is Boaz's, you know, it doesn't say any of that stuff. She just happened to accidentally walk into this particular field. But God led her to that field. He led her to the field that would bring far more to her than she could ever possibly imagine. See, sometimes we think that God has abandoned us, but God always has a plan. And as it turns out, just she, she just happens to walk into this particular field. See, if you've ever noticed, when we, when we walk with Jesus, nothing accidentally happens. I mean, four or five years ago, in this building, there was a group of people with a sign at the front of the church that said Logan City Baptist Church. And they got to the point where they just went, you know what, we, wanna, we, we can't keep doing this anymore. We want to hand it to a church that can do some things that, that maybe we can't do. And we just want to be part of something, something else. And so there's a group of people that just were kind of praying that prayer, God who? God, who can we be belong to? Who can we be part of? And then over here was a group of people called Gateway Baptist Church. And, and, and Jason Ellsmore and the Board of Elders had a strong sense from God to say, you know what, I want you to go and plant a church in Logan. But they're like, it, Logan's a really big place. And we don't really know quite where that's going to be. And so we don't really know, we don't even know what to do to take the next step. So we're just going to pray. And then over probably back here was a group of people some of which are standing or sitting here this morning. People like the Karangis. People like the Farrars. People like the Previtts. People like the Townrows. People like the Amys, who, who sensed that God wanted them to be part of something new that would be found in Logan. But they didn't know where that was going to be. They didn't even know how that was ever going to take place. And then a whole lot of us all kind of just raided their fun and wrecked their joy. No, no, we made it. See, it could have been an accident that these groups of different people with the same sense from God, or maybe, just maybe, God had a plan for what he wanted to do here. Maybe, just maybe, he had a plan for you to be here. Maybe, just maybe, he had even had a plan for you to be here today. You know, see, we've got to realize that God always has a plan, even when it doesn't make sense. See, Ruth could have said, I'm not going out that day. She could have woken up and gone, you know what? Do you understand, Naomi, if I go out today, do you understand what they're going to do? Do you understand the looks in people's eyes when they, they recognize who they are? I mean, they're disgusted and they spit on the ground in my direction. Do you understand what that does inside? Do you understand when I see mums and dads pull their kids away because I'm just from a different place? Go, Naomi, do you understand what, what I have to live with every single day knowing that I'm not one of you? And knowing that every one of you look at me as a sinful, wicked person. And yet, what does Naomi do? <laughs> she wakes up. She takes the next step. And as it happens, of all the fields that she could have wandered into that day, she arrives in the field of Boaz. Of all the fields that she could have seen, she saw that one. 
She doesn't even know who Boaz is. And according to the story, Boaz wasn't even there when she turned up. You see, next steps aren't easy. And Craig Rochelle made this, this statement a little while ago. He said this, The difference between where you are and where you could be might be the pain you're unwilling to endure. See, next steps aren't easy. Ask any toddler. Look at any toddler and look at how many bumps and bruises they've got. But somewhere along the line, they made a step to take their next step. Somewhere along the line, I made a step to to get up and to go through some bumps and bruises and learn how to work. Otherwise, I would be a 41-year-old guy still in nappies sitting on the ground. And that wouldn't be a good thing, yeah? See, next steps aren't easy, but next steps are important. Verse 4 and 5 go on. Just then, Boaz arrives from Bethlehem. And he greets the harvesters saying, the Lord be with you. And they say, the Lord bless you. And Boaz asked the overseer of the harvester, who does that young woman belong to? Now, in, in the DMV, the Dave Morrow version, that last little bit goes like this. Hey, how you doing? You know, like this little moment was like, hey, <laughs> boys, come on, hey, let's just um." Now, you've got to understand, there's a whole lot of women working there. Like, he had a whole lot of women working for him, gleaming that and, 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 and collecting all the harvesting. And there would have been some other women who were going behind, just like Ruth was, picking up the scraps. And, and, and yet, in the middle of it all, Boaz notices Ruth. Check this out. Boaz notices Ruth when she's not looking very good. See, Boaz notices Ruth when she's not dressed up in her best, when she doesn't have her makeup on and the, the hair's done and everything else. He notices her in her mess. Now, I want to introduce this to a theological term called this, the Kinsman Redeemer. And the Kinsman Redeemer is just going to be on the screen behind me. It says, the meaning of it is this. The Kinsman Redeemer is a male relative who, according to the law found in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, has the privilege and responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who is in trouble, danger, or need to save and protect them. Now, quick question. There's a couple of times, actually, it's probably not a question, a statement. A couple of times already in just these few verses, we, we already realize and we already read that Boaz was a relative of Elimelech. And who was Elimelech? Naomi, uh, uh, Ruth's father-in-law. Did I say that the right way around? Okay, good. So Boaz was Ruth's kinsman redeemer. There would be somewhat down the track another kinsman redeemer. This one wasn't called Boaz. And he is the perfect example of what a kinsman redeemer is. And his name was Jesus. And he left everything that he was and he left heaven in search of us and he left all of these things because he so deeply and desperately loves us and if you notice notice Boaz notices Ruth in her mess and Jesus notices us in our mess 
See, what I love is that Jesus doesn't say, Dave, what I need you to do is I need you to get your stuff together. I need you to just work some stuff out. I need you to get a little bit better. I need you to do some more things right. I need you, in fact, I need you to stop doing all of that stuff. And I want you just to get better. And then I will come for you when you stop being so messy. Boaz notices messy, sweaty. Now, this is the Middle East sun. You know, Ruth is sweaty, she's smelly, she's dusty, she's dirty from a hard day out. And even in the midst of all of that mess, Boaz notices her. Church, I thank God that Jesus notices us. In the midst of our dirtiness, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our mistakes, and the moments where we can't get things right, it says that Jesus notices But Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. And he's come to save and protect Ruth. Just like Jesus came to save and protect us. But then Boaz's friends jump in. Verse 6, it says this. The overseers replied, but she is a Moabite and, and, and how can she... And, who came back from Moab with Naomi? Like twice. She's a Moabite from Moab. Like, oh, thanks for saying the same thing twice in two different ways. Like, I appreciate it. She's a Moabite from Moab. Now, I wonder, I was speculating here, but I wonder if Ruth was in earshot as she heard someone else point out her past. <laughs> I wonder if she was what went on in her heart and her head. She's just trying to make it through another day. She's trying to go unnoticed. She's just trying to make a difference. And then all of a sudden, someone has to point out again her, her history. And Ruth's heart sinks again. There's verse 7. It says this. She said, please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the fields and has remained here until from morning till now, except for the short break that she had of the shelter. Now, does anyone else, as we read that, does that sound a little bit stalkerish? Like, you know, there's these guys, and looks like there's been not just one person that's noticed Ruth. All of a sudden, they're like, yeah, you know, she's been here from morning till now. And you know what? Like, she went to a toilet break at 10.25 and 11.36. And like, she went and got two drinks of what, like, we've been watching well, we've been watching her, you know, like, and there's this moment when, when all of a sudden everyone goes, yeah, no, yeah, Ruth, oh, we all know Ruth, we're all, I mean, she's a Moabite, yeah, I mean, like, we're just a Moabite, we should go there, but, 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 and that's for next week, okay, you need to come back next week, feeling that awkward and interesting, it's next week for you all, all right, and so, verse 8 goes on to say, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me, don't go and gleam in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. You know what that should have really said? Now, again, where was Ruth from? Moab. And it was a sin to be from Moab. It's a sin to be a Moabite. It's a sin to go to Moab. It's a sin to know or be near anyone from Moab. You know what that verse should have said? It should have said something like, Boaz speaking to Ruth. How 
dare you be here? Like, seriously, do you understand what you've done? Not just for me, for every worker. Like, we've now got to offer sacrifices and offerings and stuff to try and get God back in God's good graces. And it's all because of you. Like, you're a sinful, wicked person. I can't believe you would come here and wreck it all for us. Like, everyone's now going to go have multiple showers and do stuff and burn things and whatever just to get back. And it's all your, I can't believe, why would you come? Like, why don't you go to next door neighbors? I mean, I don't like him anyway. You should have just gone to there. That's what Boaz should have said. However, remember, Boaz is a kingdom, a kinsman redeemer. He's a glimpse of Jesus. See, look what, what he actually said. He said, no, no, stay here. Ruth, stay here. Of all places, don't leave here. Stay here and, and keep safe. In fact, we will protect you and we will look after you. A question, why didn't, why didn't Boaz flinch when his mates told him that Ruth was from Moab? I'm going to share with you something that, this is my, probably my biggest prayer for today, that we get this. It's a little, it's found in a little bit of history. So we're going to, you know, for those who didn't love history in school, will love this. I didn't love history, but I love this, all right? So a little bit of history. So the nation of Egypt, uh, sorry, the nation of Egypt, the nation of Israel is captive in Egypt. And they finally get themselves out and they wander through the desert for 40 years. They wander through the wilderness and they get to the edge of the promised land. Okay, you with me? So we'll go over the 40 years, yeah, we'll get to the promised land. And what's the first thing they encounter? It's the first big place with walls, really big walls, Jericho. Have you ever noticed before a promise is always a battle? Someone here, you need to hear this this morning. Before your promise, there is always a battle. So don't give up prematurely in your promise because of the battle that you're facing. It's a tangent. So we go back to, to, judge, to Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 says this. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. That's what it says on the screen. Uh, <laughs> no emails, please. Um, and go look over the land. He sped especially to Jericho. And so they went and they entered the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, if someone can explain to me after the service... Why two, why two religious men who had been handpicked out of everyone end up going to the prostitute's house? I'm all ears, okay, people? So anyway, they find themselves going. Because again, what was Rahab's occupation? Prostitute. We kind of go, yeah, no, it's great. Like, we know kind of the story. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 this is a prostitute. And, 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 but I love the fact that God uses us in spite of our in fact, I'm convinced that God uses us even in spite of our presence. See, I reckon this is a really big challenge for the church. I reckon the really big challenge for the church is this. I think that the church cares more about people's past and present than God does. Stop and let that sink for a minute. I reckon the challenge is that we care more about people's pasts sometimes even their presence, than God does. Because God sends two spies to a prostitute's house. 
And the story goes on to say that, that, they, that, they, that she saves the two spies from a bunch of people who found out that they were in her house. And, and in verse 14, they make this promise to Rahab. They first fought and they make this promise and say, Rahab, 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 what I want you to understand is this. Because you saved us, we will now save you. So when all the walls come tumbling down, you will not die and we've got your back. So they leave and they come back and they share word and then all of a sudden we do the marching around for seven days, around and around and around, nothing happens and then all the walls come tumbling down. And who lives? Rahab lives. And here's a little interesting fact. Rahab then goes to be part of the Jewish nation. And she marries a guy by the name of Salmon. And Salmon and her have a little baby boy. And guess what the name of the little baby boy is? Boaz. I think that's so remarkable. And I, and I reckon it shows us why when we hear, when, when Boaz hears about the history and the story of, Be, of, 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 of Ruth, it's why he doesn't flinch. Because I wonder how many times he at school had fights because of what people said about her, her mum. How many times he came home with tears streaming down his face going, Mum, but you don't know what they said about you again today. I just wish they would leave you alone. And, 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 and oh, Mum, I, I just, I got into a fight. Yes, I got expelled for the 37th time. But Mum, it was only because of you. See, Boaz knew what it was like to know women with a past. And when he heard things that were said about his mum, his heart broke. And when he began to hear things said about another woman with another past, his heart broke. And when he heard the words spoken about Ruth, the memories of his mum flooded back. And his heart broke for her, and now his heart breaks for Ruth. And he begins to pursue her, even though she is from Moab. Come back next week, and we'll hear that story together. See, Jesus' heart breaks for you. He knows your past. He knows what you did last month, last week, and last night. He knows the mistakes we've all made and yet he still pursues you how do I know this because he's here this morning and then in Ruth chapter 2 verse 9 it says this watch the field and when the men's are, when the men are harvesting follow along after the women I've told the men not to lay hand a hand on you and whatever you do, whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. In other words, Boaz is here going, hey, I just want you to know I got your back. And then he goes on to say, at this, she bowed down on her face to the ground and said, why have I found such favor in the eyes of you? Notice that you notice me, a foreigner. What I find so interesting is this is that Ruth couldn't even say the word Moab. She had to say foreigner. She was caught in such a sense of shame. She was caught up in all of this shame and what people had said about her. She didn't feel worthy to even say where she was from. Do you feel like that this morning?
you feel like, but if they knew, if only they knew, if only God knew, FYI, he already does. But what if God would know about what I've done? I'm not worthy. Church, none of us are. In fact, it says it in, in, in Romans chapter 2. It says this, For we've all sinned. We've all blown it. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standards. But then, 11 and 12 go on to say this. Boaz replied, I've been told about what you have done from your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live in a land you, you knew not before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. Let me pause there. How about you? But it's almost like Boaz stopped listening. Boaz wasn't listening to what his mate said. He said, you know what? She's She stops listening, and he, he stops listening to actually even what Ruth says. All of a sudden, it begins to be aware, apparent to everyone, that Boaz is possibly, probably, is king on Ruth. It's like Moaz misses, Boaz misses the memo on Moab. And in the middle of that moment, he begins to speak truth. And in verse 12, it goes on, at the end of verse 12, it goes on to say, May you be richly rewarded for the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. Now, where was Ruth from? Moab. And whose wings is she coming under? The God of the Jews. See, regardless of how life might be treating you, Regardless of the, the difficulties you might be facing, the bumps and bruises you might be walking through, despite the uncertainty of the future, God is, is never very far away. And He is always at work making a way through our bumps and our bruises if we hold on to Him. Let's jump across as we finish to verse 15 to 17. And it says this, as she got, got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the men, let her gather among the shields, the sheaves, and don't, re, don't reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and then she threshed the barley that she'd gathered, and it amounted to more than an ephod. An ephod was roughly around about 13 to 20 kilos. So she expected walking in that day that if she was lucky, she would walk home with a couple of handfuls just to make it through the next 24 hours. But remember, as it turned out, remember, as it, remember that phrase, as it turned out, of all of the places she could have found herself that day, as it turned out, she walks into Boaz's field. She expects to leave with a handful. And she walks out with kilos. This morning, what were you expecting to walk into church? 
what were you expecting to walk out of church with? Just a little pep talk, a little bit of something that kind of might get you through, a little handful to get you through the next week. See, what I sense God wants to do this morning is He's got more than a handful in store for you. Ruth walked in expecting one thing, left with a whole different thing. You walked in here expecting one little thing, and my prayer is this morning, every one of us walked out with a very different thing. See, if, if, if Ruth didn't take her first step, she would have missed the miracle from God. But she got up. And as it turned out, God led Ruth to a field that belonged to Boaz. And as it turned out, Boaz was generous and an honorable man. And as it turned out, Boaz was a man full of compassion towards someone he shouldn't have had compassion for. And as it turns out, Boaz says to his workers, leave a little bit more behind than you normally would. And as it turns out, Boaz helps Ruth. See, we all go through bumps and bruises, don't we? We can all wonder if God is really there. We can all wonder, does God really care what I'm going through, what I'm living through, what I'm experiencing? See, God wants to say to you this morning that He's always there and that He is making a way. Can I ask you a question? Do you really believe that? See, there's a difference between here and here, isn't there? Like, I really think that I could play yesterday indoor cricket with my 12-year-old son and a bunch of other dads and sons, and I thought I could do a really good effort. In here, I questioned and I wondered if I could. And I woke up this morning, my body told me, eh, maybe not so much. See, up here, I said I could do it. Down here, I questioned if I could. See, up here people have said things over you, you've spoken things over you, and you think right now that you can't, but God wants to say, you can. See, there's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. See, and as I've been reflecting on this this week, there's a conviction, there's a conviction that Ruth had. There's a tenacity that Ruth had. There's a passion that Ruth had not to give up regardless of the challenges that she was facing. There's a and there's a challenge in that for me, and I believe that there's a challenge in that for every one of us this morning. And it's this. See, she had a fire in her belly that when I know I can't, but I've seen there's something different about Naomi's God, and I want something of that kind of God. So I'm going to go to a place and I, shouldn't, I know I shouldn't go. I'm going to trust in a God that I have no relationship with. There's something about the tenacity and the passion. There's something about this conviction that Ruth had. There's a fire in Ruth that, that I believe that we all need again this morning. <laughs> See, it's really easy to play church. It's really easy to play religion. It's really easy to just go through the motions. Tick the box, register your seat for church. Don't have to turn up with a mask. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, you know, and, and, and it's really easy to do a bunch of those things and we just come here out of routine or because someone made us.
God wants to shift something in you this morning. I don't be honest. God's been kicking me up the bum all week about it. Hey, this is not for them, it's for you. Say, you know what? I need, God, I need more of that fresh fire in me. No matter the uncertainty of what the future holds, my certainty is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. So no matter what happens against me, the bumps and bruises that will come, that our God is for us, He's with us, He's a way making God. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.